I feel like when we do like level checks with Mark, I feel like he turns my voice down on purpose. <laughs> do you just see him fidget with it and you're like, I wonder what he's doing? But I can hear it go down in the earphones. So I'm like, oh, he wants to quiet me. <laughs> I don't talk too much. When we have guests in here and they're like this far away from the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him all the time watching and then adjusting and then watching and adjusting. And I'm like, yeah. all right, we need to educate people on how to talk into a microphone better. Yeah. It's like a big black dick. Just put that yeah, thing. Just in front get of your as face. close as possible. It's 2020. You should be comfortable with that stuff by now. <laughs> if you're not, it says something about you. Exactly. Um, what were we talking about? So we were talking in the office. Uh, mm-hmm. Your brother is going through some health issues. Oh yeah, yeah. And we kind of get on the topic of like it almost seems like in society, at least in Western culture these days, it's easier to like cut off the thing you don't like than deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know how much detail. I, I think it's a weird, um, well, I think it has to do with specialization. Because you get somebody, uh, you got to kind of back up and go, like, if you were, a, especially, maybe this is just like, <laughs> because I'm watching that alone show, the survival show. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Is that good? Dude, it's so good. I need to go to your house more. It's really hard for me to get into shows yeah. when I'm just like upstairs by myself. Because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed. Yeah, which maybe one. is better, but at the same time, like I like fun too. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I really we're on the last episode of the Arctic one, and I kind of fell asleep. That doesn't mean it's not interesting. I'm just fucking exhausted, right? Um, but you, you did become a web designer in the last three days. Well, there, so there's some, there's some, <laughs> there. Yeah, I don't specialize. There's something really funny. There's two things to the show. So the people that have all these skills that are like kind of fucking out of control like this guy i think is jordan is his name he like he's the one who killed a he killed a moose with a bow and arrow and then he fucking killed a wolverine with a hatchet a hatchet i'm not fucking joking what's the show called it's called alone all right dude he fucking kills a wolverine he shoots it with an air he sets up this trap the wolverine steals his moose fat and that's what he's living off of and so he's like, I'm going to kill this fucking yeah, Wolverine. fuck that Wolverine. So he just waits for it at night. And he's like, there it is. And he like shoots it with a fucking arrow. The thing is going crazy. It's like you can hear it growling yeah, and they're freaking out. out. Mind. And he grabs a hatchet and runs and just jumps and fucking starts hatcheting this thing. It's off screen. Like you can't see it, but you can hear it. It's like thunk, thunk, thunk. And it starts getting like bloodier and grosser. And then the growl just kind of goes, and it dies out and you're like what in the fuck man you're like this is what they're doing (laughs) is so fucked up but it's also this is what it was for 200,000 years right it's only been different for a very short amount of time very short amount of time and so if you look the the one first thing to me that's really interesting is the guys that have good general knowledge like these guys can fucking basket weave they can make anything furniture huts insulation fishing lines like they can craft anything by hand um they're also very good mechanically right all of these people that are really good at these skills they're all fucking dirt poor. 
They're like some of the poorest motherfuckers. And the reason they're on that show, they're like, oh, I just got to get my chance. Like, got to win $500,000. And this is the only way they know how to do it because their skills aren't valued in society anymore. Right. But they should be. 100%. And the reason why I think is like this guy, this Jordan guy is specific because he's really like, I think he trained, I don't know what the tribe was in Siberia, but he basically lived there for years and just kind of, they adopted him. He even knows how to throat sing. Like it's fucking wild and he's funny as fuck. Like he's super funny, super mellow. Something bad happens. You see he's like calm and cool and yeah. like, like nothing. It's like, oh man, the fucking Wolverine took my shit. I'm going to kill that guy. And then he goes and does it. And he's like, woo, got him. And you're like, what? I would be fucking flipping out because I wasn't trained correctly. And it's also like, I have like 10 times as much money as that guy. Right. Which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so that's on the on the first part. The second part is like their general knowledge of plants and how to interact with the world and also their knowledge of themselves. Like he could tell you, he's like, I'm losing way too much weight. I'm eating too much meat. I have too much protein. I need more fat. He could just tell you that based off of like how he's just like, I'm getting protein starvation. Because he's paid attention to his body his entire life because if he doesn't, he dies. He dies. Yeah. He's in the fucking Arctic. And before that, he was in Siberia. And it's like, look, if you don't pay attention, you'll die. And I don't think because we don't have that people because because we can like live in insulation and have these, you know, things provided, we can pretend that we can gain this like superior knowledge on a subject. Right. So I can become a specialist in a medical field that knows about one fucking thing. And that's what the world looks like when you know about one thing. Right. So you get somebody that's like you know, in my brother's circumstance, I don't know exactly what it is because I don't talk to him that often, but obviously he has some problem with his gallbladder. They think it's gallstones. They think whatever. They want to remove it. And I'm not paying attention for the last three months because, you know, he's like, oh, my gallbladder, you know, I'm like, cool, do something about it. Yeah. In my head, I just go, he's doing something about it because if I was affected negatively by something, I would rearrange everything because I look at it like that's my life, right? So if 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 I have a pain or something is weird, um, I reorganize everything, whether that's sleep, whether it's diet, nutrition, whether that's surgery, whatever it is, right. I get everybody on board all at the same time and I go, okay, tell me what it is. Like, what do I have to do? And, you know, obviously you talk to a doctor and the doctor's like, this is a perfect, fucking perfect example. So I had this like pain in my left tit yeah, I remember that. Right? And I was like, fuck, it's a lump for sure. Well, I haven't asked you about that in a while. Um, it's gone. Sure. And I know exactly why now, which is super crazy. So it was pretty painful. I felt it rolling for the first time when we were in Australia. Yep. Somebody bumped it and I was like, ah, oh, God, it feels like I have like gyno or some bullshit. And I was like, that's weird. I'm not fucking taking anything. I, I wish because then it'd be a lot fucking better. Right. You'd be stronger and you'd be like, I have a reason for this. Yeah, I don't and have I was to like, worry about it. Well, yeah, I would know the reason. Of. But I was like, man, it's not. It's not. And then it got worse and worse and worse. And then I could feel a lump. And I was like, oh, shit. I for sure have breast cancer. So in my head, before I even before I had developed, I had completely removed carbohydrate. I had started to moving to like a ketogenic state. Yeah. I had I had increase my sleep. I had started kind of subconsciously already altering all the things that I know affect whatever my state to get to the healthiest state possible to see if this changes. It didn't change. So I went in and I'm like, all right, ultrasound, you know, I got blood work done to see if like estradiol was up or any of these indicators that would show that was like gyno. 
And I was like, none of those markers came back. Right. And I was like, oh, fuck, now it's real. Now I need ultrasound. I'm going to get a mammogram. So I go in for all of this stuff, and they scan it, and he goes, oh, no, no, it's gyno for sure. But there's it's a prolastin, and there's the other there's some other things that can cause it, not just like testosterone use or whatever. And one of them he mentioned offhandedly was like cannabis use. And I was like, Ah. Oh, no shit. I don't think we talked about that. For sure. And so I was like, I noted it and I was like, okay, done. So I removed it. Yeah. And it went away completely. No shit. Yeah. But to understand the same doctor that was like, we'll just schedule something. We'll cut it out. That's literally what he told me. And I was like, cut what out? If it's not anything that's bad. Right. He's like, like, well, you know, it's the tissue. It's sensitive. It built up because something happened. And I was like, why don't you just change the thing that caused it? And so I was just like, I'm just not going to use cannabis for a while to see if it affects it. And it sure as shit went away almost immediately. No bullshit. Holy fuck. Yeah. Is that fucking weird? It's weird. It's also awesome that it's nothing other totally. than that. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, I'm kind of prepared for like anything. Like, oh, this makes sense for my life. You know, I just like go through chemo or whatever. Everybody has to do something. What's weird is that people don't think that they can do anything about it. And because we rely on these like authorities to tell us what to do because they're so specialized, we're just like, okay, yeah, there's no other option. It's cut it out of me. What the fuck would I like? What what would I do now? Right. Yeah, what happens when it comes back? Do we just keep cutting this out and we never actually get to the problem? Or or does he take, like, I don't get it. Does he take care of the, like, maybe he would, maybe he just removes it and then I go, oh, cool, it's done. And then I never have that problem again. That's probably not what would happen. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's how that would work either, but. And this is kind of how I looked at my brother's situation. So fast forward, like, I, I hear about, like, kind of all this shit and he's like oh yeah yeah he tried this and he tried that and there's nothing's working and when it comes down to it he didn't really change anything he just like took some apple cider vinegar and some cayenne and made one meal a day keto yes bagels or whatever right yeah like so he started ordering like these high fat meals and it's like oh cool he's eating keto and it's like i know what that means for most people is that just they added a bunch of saturated fat to their diet and changed nothing right which is the most dangerous thing that you can do, especially if it's like his hemoglobin A1C is pre-diabetic, like it's up there. And I don't know what any of his other blood markers were, but the couple things that I was looking at is like, it's probably inflammatory response. There's something going on. And then come to like last night, my mom called me. He's like, oh yeah, they're going to pull his gallbladder out. And I immediately thought like, that's the dumbest fucking thing you could do. If you remove that thing, it's, it's not the cause. It's like, it's so rare that somebody has a bad gallbladder. Right. How fucking rare is that? It's usually that our system has a problem somewhere. It's inflamed or there's some potential disease somewhere and it's overflowing with stress onto the next system, onto the next system. So whatever that means, and I would look at it like, how if, if your life is stressful, which his ad, he has a newborn during coronavirus. There's all sorts of shit going on. Yeah, and he lives like Pacific Northwest, yeah. which everything's fucking batshit crazy up there. For right sure. Now. So he's in Portland. Uh, he's well. I mean, he's good. He can work from home, but and he actually doesn't have to travel anymore. But he had complications with the newborn. It was all sorts of. It was a fucking nightmare. Um. So there's all this stress compounding 
which means now his gallbladder, like your gallbladder doesn't fail because you're stressed. Like if I, I think that stress causes it, but it's like way back a hundred thousand layers. Yeah. The stress is like the last straw or whatever on top of all of the bullshit. Yeah. You're putting through it every day for however old your brother is. It's a system. And the only reason I can recognize it, it's a system is because I've educated myself generally. I'm not educated like him. Right. He's educated highly specifically. Like he's uh, out of our family. He's like the most educated person. Like he could just go do get fucking tenure at Berkeley in whatever fucking. I don't even know what he was educated in at poli sci or something. Um, but because of that. It's how he looks at the world is in a very specific, narrow set so that when he talks to a specialist that developed a, you know, I'm not saying his doctor's bad, but that's how his doctor is. The doctor he's going to now just deals with getting gallbladders out of people. That's his specialization, and not in healing them. Do you think their conversations are like the questions he asks are targeted? Hopefully this makes sense mm. in a way that like um, informs that specialization, because that's the only way your brother sees the world is through like this very narrow lens. So he doesn't look at it from like, what else can I do besides this? He goes, you're this person that does this specific thing. So let's just ask questions about this specific thing and how you, the doctor, can take care of it for me. I don't even think it's that because that that would um, that would assume that there's an actual conversation. I, I'm sure it's all subconscious or um, whatever and it doesn't like, it doesn't play out that way, but well, I'm thinking about it, how I go and see doctors because man, they really don't like me. Right. Um, cause I'll ask them all sorts of like, so my mom had like maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Um, she, she thought she was having a heart attack. Something happened. She had p chest pains. We took her to the emergency room and I was there with her and I was like, okay, like it, it could be, um, a pulmonary embolism it could be you know a heart, it could be some kind of um aneurysm it could be a blood clot somewhere the the choices are obvious of like what it is and how to test for it she was coming up negative for the enzyme test right but the nurse comes in and like they gave her some morphine and she's like the chest pains go away and she's like yeah yeah i don't feel them anymore and i was like hey um what are you talking about? And she was like, well, we just wanted to, you know, get rid of the pain. And I was like, well, they didn't go away. You're just fucking blocking it. Right. Do you not know how opiates work? And she's like, excuse me. And I was like, you literally just <laughs> gave her a painkiller and you think that you fixed the fucking problem. I was like, are you insane? Like, did no one teach you how to fucking think this? This is like, an insane thing. She's like, oh, well, you know, we'll do a test for enzymes and see if she had a heart attack. And I was like, and then what? Right. If she just says she's fine, you're going to let her leave. But of course she's going to say she's fine. So she, she's high as fuck right now. She tested negative for everything. They did a stress test. They tried to like, they couldn't figure out what it was ever. They literally still don't know what it is. And it's like, cool. You know, if you have a problem, take some morphine. Yeah. Right. It, what the fuck? Uh, and so that, that's how I think my interactions with doctors have mostly been on, you know, me being angry that they get to call themselves doctors. Um, although some are really well-meaning and they're very well-educated and they're obviously the reason that we have like modern healthcare systems, but that's not all of them. That That's like a few, the rest, I mean, 
to give you an example, chiropractors call themselves doctors. And sure. I, I even have a good chiropractor that I like. So I'm not talking shit about chiropractors. I'm just saying like, that's how fucking easy it is to call yourself something and specialize and get through this thing. You don't have to actually think. And that I think is the problem. Like when you go back to that alone show, all of these people, what they have in common is the ones that are good. They're really good at problem solving. And they have a general knowledge of how their body works, the environment works, and how they like the third part. Yeah, of that. they're actually they're only poor relative to today's standards of yes. what wealthy means. But they're actually like a wealth of yeah. many things most people are not. And if anything goes to shit, those are the people that you would they would be our most revered. Like right. those would be chieftains in a tribe, one hundred percent, right? Because they have all the knowledge of how to live wherever the environment, uh, whatever environment they're in. So you're like, I don't know. I guess that's a general human frustration. I think so. It, I don't know how to word this the right way. I feel like we do the same thing now with specializations for people, for jobs, for things in the world um, as we do with food, but in reverse. Mm -hmm. I hope this makes sense. Like we find the one thing within a food that we think is good for people and then we pull it out and we make it in abundance and then we give them just that one thing. That's called nutritionalism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is, yeah, this is a fundamental problem with trying, it's also called reductionism. Yeah. So we reduce things down to the material thing that we think causes the problem and then we get rid of that thing. In this case, we go... Oh, you're in pain because you have gallstones. So we reduce it down to the thing that's causing it. And then we go, let's get rid of well, it. What, what causes? What is causing the pain? Not necessarily what is causing the cause for the pain. Exactly. No, no, we skip one. Yeah. We, we treat the symptom for sure. And I know there, there's lots of people. This is nothing new that we like that. We treat symptoms. We don't treat causes in yeah. our medical establishment. There's a reason for that. Like I would say that. Uh, emergency medicine in the U.S. Uh, or in you know in a developed country is some of the best thing that's ever happened to humanity. Non-emergency medicine is probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to humanity because we treat it like it's the same thing and it's not the same thing. If you have a heart attack and you go in and people are just okay, we have a system and this is lets us know what kind of attack this is. That way they don't misdiagnose it. They're very good at keeping you alive in an emergency situation. Right. In a non-emergency situation, they almost treat it the same. So you go in and you're like, I'm feeling a little bit weird. My nipple has a growth in it. And they go, ha, like it's the same. It's an emergency and it could be the worst thing ever. And when it's not, they go, well, we can get rid. It's almost like they prepare for, you know, breast cancer and terminal. And then they, when they find out it's not, they're like, but the same options available. How much of that do you think stems <laughs> from like a business mindset where they're like, oh, we see dollar signs because... If we do the surgery, the insurance gives us this much. It makes our job feel like it's important because we're doing the thing that we want to do. There's no doubt that that plays a role. I'm not like, I mean, talk about like conspiracy theory. It's not even a conspiracy. It's just a known fact of how, how fucking our healthcare system works. It's like. Well, and human nature exists, right? Like yeah. I, you know, we talked last week or the week before, like mm -hmm. I want to be a coach. Mm -hmm. So I need to start coaching more. If somebody that you go to is a surgeon and they want to cut people open, yeah. how do they not how do they convince themselves like that it's not the right person to cut open when all they want to do is oh, that thing? 
I mean, you'd have to ask somebody in that field. Oh, for sure. Right? Like, I, I, a good example, uh, I sent somebody to Selena um, who they thought, you know, she's a podiatrist. They thought they had, you know, a fragment of bone in their foot or they thought a bone sport or something. They were convinced that their foot hurt because they need surgery right. to feel better. And they went into her and she looked at it from every different angle. And she's like, you know, I would not cut you open. Mm-hmm. She's like, it's not worth it. Like, try these stretches. Like, I can't find anything that resembles your pain. And funny enough, I like that's a rare. How is that a rare thing? I mean, right. I was to say that's a good doctor. Or she has a private practice. She's like she she's legitimately dependent on you know surgeries. Like that's what pays her bills, and therefore for her and but I wouldn't expect anything different because she's a like a highly in, you know integral person. Um, but it's weird that that's not the norm. So if you like hurt your neck, or, or you know you have a problem back pain or whatever, the amount of neurosurgeons that will be like let's fuse it. Like, let's yeah, just like get immediately. in there. Like, yeah. hey, we can schedule next week. For sure. Let's not do anything for three to six months. Try to figure it out. Yeah. Just let's let's do the thing and move on. They're really like, uh, even without MRIs, people will go in and just start fucking, you know, that's part of the, that Dr. Death series. Did you ever listen to that? No. Oh, Jesus Christ. The podcast, Dr. Death. It's about a neurosurgeon that kind of goes wacky. Yeah, I remember talking oh, about it a while back. Fucking Christ. I mean, and that that's obviously like the perverted, bizarre version of what happens. But that, there's like this middle ground. I, I meet any human being, meet any trainer, anybody in the industry. I was just talking about uh, to Sam about this. Maybe he'll come in and talk about it. Um, he's a climber. He feels fairly privileged in his outdoor whatever industry. Right. And I was talking about like you, you should be pretty grateful to be in that industry. I'm in an industry where the best of my industry want gold toilets. Like they want private planes. They want like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The it's... best in an outdoor or like, you know, what a professional, maybe extreme sports, the best in their profession want to give back something. Yep. They just, that, and they want like a sprinter fan. That's really cool. Totally. And something. they just want to hang out and touch the thing that made them. Yeah. They're like, Oh, this rock. Like I just want to be under it and I want to hang out with it as as long as possible. That's how they get back. You talk to trainers or coaches or fitness people and they're like, I want a Bugatti and I want like, you're like, ah, oh, fuck. That's how most industries yeah, are. Yeah, they want to be like, oh, I'm a coach. But to prove that, I don't, sometimes I wonder if they do that because maybe they feel like a coach isn't a respected position or profession. And they're like, well, if I have my Tesla in my fucking two acres yeah. of land with five bedrooms, even though I have no kids or I have all this stuff to show people go, oh, he's good at what he does. It's sure. just being good at it. And to to excuse that, that does work. It does work. It totally works. It fucking for sure works. Because that's the same stuff most of the people in this country want. So when they go, oh, you figured out a way to get it. How do I get that? You're going to be great. I need to, I need to be around you. And you're like, it probably fucks some people over. They probably have a revolving like schedule of classes <laughs> every 45 minutes on the 45 minutes where you're like, Oh, who's that? You're like, I don't come in the morning. I don't know who that client is, but she comes to my business. The psychology behind this is probably good, right? Like the psychology behind, hey, that guy has a lot of dead animals. He killed a lot of, like, I'm going to hang out with him to see what he does so that I can kill a bunch of animals and I can have more food. But with luxury items, it's not quite the same fucking thing. No. Because um, the, the analogy would fall apart because... In this life, it is possible, um, quote unquote, MLMs, like multi-level marketing companies are 
famous for this, of representing success will bring you success. The idea of making money can make you money. That The idea of having a, a bear pelt is not the same thing as having a bear pelt. Right. Or getting one, I should say. Yeah. Having one, if you just are given one, and then there's the person who got his. Those are two wildly different people. Yeah, and you can't fake the fuck if you're like, oh, where'd you get that? You're like, oh, uh, uh, you're like, you didn't go get it. Somebody mm. gave it, which cool, like, but it doesn't have the same meaning or representation. <laughs> My friend Nate was, ta- he was on a bear hunt last year and he was, I, he was just tattooing me. So he was like, tell me the story. Cause I'd never heard it. He just got his pelt back and it's a blondie. Mm-hmm. Like it's a super rare. Yeah. I probably don't even know what it is but he showed me and i was like yeah it's beautiful man he's like no this is unscathed blondie like this female that he got had never been into a scuffle yet except her face was broken from maybe one but her her pelt was untouched and so i was like oh that's really cool and he's like and it's blonde and i was like crazy like i don't yeah you're like right over your head but it sounds like like you really care about it yeah it looks fucking awesome man and it's like yeah the you know the meat was good it was a really good hunt it was super fucking crazy so he starts telling me about the hunt and he's with his friend uh i think they were in idaho and he's like he's like um they they thought that there was a a, i thought it was a mom and a cub but it was actually a female fighting off a male Oh, wow. And then they think that they were like fucking each other. They think they were trying to mate or something was going on. And so they were going to like his friend was going to shoot the male because they didn't think that they could get the other one. So he shoots and the fucking male just trees like just gone. Yeah. And they're like, oh, right on. And he's like fucking with his gun. And he's like, oh, man, it's super fucked up. Like we're going to have to go like I think I got him, though, for sure. And he looks up, and it's like maybe 70, 70 meters, the fucking female is charging them. That's not good. And he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, he looks over to see if his friend can take the backup shot, and he's not. So he raises his rifle, and it goes clunk, and he jams. So he has two more in the tr- chamber. He puts one in, fires, misses, and then he goes Oh, Jesus. And he literally loads the other one in, like closes his eyes and just like kunk and shot it at 40 meters. And it went right through the fucking heart. Blood is fucking spurting all. It's like gushing while this bear starts rolling downhill towards him. And he's just like, (sighs) and it's like, now that pelt makes much more sense to me. Right. And the fact that you shit your pants. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he was like shaking. And his, oh, God, I bet. He was just like for weeks. He was shaking. Say, the adrenaline dump from that is something like you could never explain that to anybody and, he and have him go like, I get it. And then no, he didn't know what he got. He wasn't like trying to yeah. hunt it. He was just like, I was trying not to die. That's how I got my bear. And so he like, <laughs> and then he looked at the felt, uh, the fur and he's like, oh, that's a cool color. Awesome. Didn't think anything of it. They bring it over to the the ranger guy. And the guy's like, where the fuck did you get this thing? And they're like, oh, over in this quarter, they they told him. He's like, don't tell anybody where you were at. I was like, this is like one of the most rare belt, uh, bear pelts that you can get. And he's like, cool, whatever. <laughs> Takes it to the taxidermist. The taxidermist was like, where the fuck did you get this? And he's like, there's guys who have been hunting for like 20 years that yep. haven't been able to get one of these things. So now he has this story and this whole thing behind it. Um, and you get it. You're like, oh, like think of all the things that you had to do in order for that to happen. Yeah. Riches and stuff aren't like that. When you see somebody with like an M3, you're like, how did you get it? They're like, well, I just ripped a bunch of people off selling training programs online. And, you know, 
I'm a this, and then I got enough money, and I went and bought yeah, it. Yeah, like, like I individually designed for 200 clients who don't drink alcohol, and I charge <laughs> them $350 a month. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, now I have a Tesla and three houses. And you're like, cool, how much better are those people's lives? And you're like, well, you know, three or four of them I still stay, stay in touch with, so, <laughs> you know, fucking right on. But the rest still pay me monthly. Yeah, no shit. I mean, it's, it's weird, because there's like, it's obviously not everybody's like that. Obviously, like, sure. You know, because I'll program for some people and I'll do something I don't like to. Um, so I don't think everybody's like that, but the amount of people that are yeah. is fucking shocking. I, I've honestly, I'm trying to think so I don't fucking offend anybody. I've never met a good coach or somebody I would consider a mentor or whatever that had the big house, the fancy cars all the other stuff like i don't i don't think i have like sure like they, they they're successful and they have a home and they have a car sure yeah and yeah. they're nice and they're whatever but they're not like the look at me yeah, I'm yeah, this. Yeah. well because there's one that feigns it and then one that just doesn't I, I think maybe you you put those things as like emblems of success because you actually don't feel successful with anything that yes. you've done. But when you have prodigies and people that like when you produce, you're almost not worried about, I laughed the other day cause I'm like, I don't have any fucking money. Right? Like I could, if I wanted to, but I really don't. Um, I just kind of like ebb and flow when I need something like, you know, somebody's like, Hey, I have this camera. I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out. Give it to me. I'll, I'll get you money somehow. Yeah. And I'll make it work, um, which means I have to like either sell something else or do some extra right. and get some extra to get the thing. But for the most part, when I see people like, yeah, I have like, you know, $200,000 in the bank. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why don't you go like do something awesome? Yeah, yeah go on vacation when, and you're, I don't when mean, you're allowed to again or something. And I don't mean blow it. I mean, like, go learn something. Yeah, go have an experience. Don't like go. Yeah. Don't go to the Ritz Carlton hang out there and get room service for three weeks and then leave. Like, sure, maybe that's a thing, but like go go get something that can inform whatever your life is moving forward. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I mean, maybe I should look at that differently. Because obviously, like you're, you're going to have to think about having enough to like live off of or if something bad happens. Like there's, I, I can see where the feature of I'm going to, I got to keep some extra that you need bandwidth for yeah, sure. Yep. I'm not against that. I just, I have a, maybe it's cause I am unmotivated by the prospect of like having riches. Like, I mean, obviously, cause we've had offers and you know, they still come up where like, you can get paid an exorbitant amount of money. You just have to put up with this person. Right. Like not worth it. Yeah, like, yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's idiocy on my part, but I don't, I don't think it's worth it. I think like I think I would get sick. I think the stress of it would make me sick and that's yeah. what I like my one thing that I think I'm good at is being in tune to whether I feel a certain way. And if I if I go, "Ah, oh, that doesn't make me feel good." Not in just the pleasurable way, but in the like, no the long-term effect of having to do that thing will hurt me emotionally and then physically and then psychosomatically and then is there a way to change. not feel that way and like change the perception of that or is that just i mean i know you have you know a decade of experience in what i assume is what you're talking about mm -hmm. in that industry and the people you'd have to deal with and 
things I don't understand, but is there another way to like, for you, I feel like gamify it because I feel like that's of interest to you where you can like make it into something that is enjoyable. Um, maybe. Yeah. I'm sure it's not like a, yes, definitely. This is the way to do it. Answer, but it would, it would depend on who to, like, there's some people is just like, it's like a hard no. Yeah. And then there's some that are kind of interesting. Like there's some projects that are like, uh, you know, for the right price, I would do that. Cause I could disconnect. I could, I could kind of like insulate myself from the result. Sure. And there's others that you can't where you're just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I guess I'm doing this for a year or whatever the time frame is. I mean, I really loved doing it mostly because it wasn't about them. It was about what I could do if I was in the wild uh, that like, you know, we're in a city, but literally like I'm on my own. I've got an apartment taken care of. Who can I go meet? What can I learn? Right. And I mean, essentially in 2020 that, or whenever, whatever years, 2010 to 2019 yeah. or whatever that, I mean, that is the wild. It's our wild. Yeah. It Damn. sounds weird to say it that way, but I don't, I have no idea. I mean, I would like to give you like good advice on coaching, especially from the business perspective, but I don't think there's good advice to be given because the stuff that will make you poor will make your spirit rich yeah. and the shit that will make you rich will fucking be poverty level uh, spiritually. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of gone back and forth with you. I've talked to Mark with the space opening to X number of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, 50, you know, 50 is a good number. Anything above that. I think I had 60 at first. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, 12 people. Eh, it seems like too many. 10, even like, I think yesterday or the other day, yeah. I was like, man, maybe like six is the number. But it was like, I mean, sure, you put up 100 times what we're going to charge. And you're like, man, that is really good money sure. per year. And you're like, 100 people is not a lot of people. No. But then you're like, that is a lot of time. That's a lot of like corralling. That's a lot of babysitting. That's like herding cats. You know, that's in a space where it's not just for a gym. So then I was like, okay, 60 was this number. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this goes back to the gym. This goes to me. This probably goes to taxes and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good living too. But then I was like, well, what am I going to be doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to coach like nine hours a day. <laughs> free time probably won't exist. When I do have free time, I won't want to be in the gym. Being in the gym is an important place for me to be. Okay, what's 50 people look like? And I was like, yep. okay, 50 seems doable. Like I know George can help me, um, you know, other people have offered to coach here and there. It's like, okay, that, that makes sense. But then it's like, well, what is like, what can I give to 10 people per class? And it's like, well, I don't know. So it's like, should I start it? And I know it's going to be a slow drip. Sure, trickle. Yeah, yeah. Like we're not going to like get a hundred people right off the bat or whatever the number is. But it, it's interesting to think about it in terms of like how much value can I provide knowing how good I am as a coach to how many people per session times how many sessions per day times how many per week month yada 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 before i get burnt out or before it isn't enjoyable it's a fucking lot to think about yeah because i think most and i could be wrong but i feel like most crossfit gyms they go okay the bigger the space the more people we can have the yeah. more people we can have the more money we make and I, I honestly like aside from like of course i want more stability in my life not living upstairs would be great having a place to call home is something I'm striving for right now. But at the same time, like I'm not also willing to be like, let's just open this up to the public because that'll get. But like in describing what it is to like 
go hunt a bear, which is not just about doing it. I'm sure there's situations where you could hire a guide and go out and your first trigger that you ever pull. As long as you have enough money, you can. Yeah. And even when you fuck up, somebody will make sure that you got it. Like, ah, you got it. Like if you pay them like an extra bit, they'll just like kill it for you and be like, "Yeah, your bullet. That's the yeah, one that no, did it." Yeah, no, we we scared it. You got right it right through the heart. You're <laughs> very, just like a, very good shot. You must have been a hunter in another life. <laughs> just <laughs> patronizing. Meanwhile, there's a hole in a tree like 300 yards from the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some some fucking squirrel got hit. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's that. But when you when you look at like identifying a home, a thing that you're building. Imagine how, how it wouldn't, how it would feel if somebody's just like, here, here's the money. Yeah. You're like, you don't need to work. Like just go buy the house and you'd sit in your house and you'd be like, yeah, it could be a better one though. Like you would immediately not sure. like things, but like, I mean, we have a little townhouse. I have a really hard time leaving that place. Yeah, I can see that. Because we worked so fucking hard to get it. Like, it was not easy. Yeah. Um, and I was like, for a fucking townhouse? I don't even have land. Like, you know, I should probably do some upkeep here and there because I get fucking lazy. But also, I'm always here. So, um, but I you, There's a room upstairs if you want to switch. I <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I was thinking about it. <laughs> like you want I, bunk beds? If I could just sleep here, especially with like learning how to web design or whatever. Fuck. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. Oh yeah, it'll 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 be a di- you'll have a story behind it. Yeah. And, and the difficulty, I forgot what author it was that said this. That like, oh, I think it was Freud. It's like all the parts, all the parts that you think. Um, are terrible and hard those will be the morsels later like that's the when you're going through it it sucks but later those are the things you always look back on i was had a similar conversation with a good friend of ours who's coming into train later who just Mm. quit his job about that job you know he'd been there 28 years and he was like man like our boss was like an authority authoritative like dictator and he was like nobody's ever seen it unless you've worked there and he's like, I put up with it for 28 years. And I was like, that's exactly why you're going to be a good boss. Yeah. Because nobody leaves a good boss, right? For the most part. Unless well, it's like a apprenticeship, fellowship, or yeah. kind of like... A well-wishing. Yeah, it's like, kind of yeah, like yeah. a good boss at some point is probably going to be like, hey, motherfucker, go do this on your own. Like, you know how to, how to do this. Like, go figure it out, I think. Yeah, or they include you into the Yeah, thing. exactly. One or the other. You either, like, get the full, like, you know red carpet on the way out or you get like to come into the inner circle a little more. I mean, that was my, there was a distinction. This is really weird. It's kind of what caused my initial go. Oh, I see what this is all about. And and not that I wasn't grateful for everything that, um, people did for me at the time, but there was a point where I was like, I wanted to be more involved with the gym and the Jim Jones thing. And I was having a conversation with Lisa about it. And I was like, is it like, could I invest? Is there a way that I could like do more, like put more risk so that you guys can benefit and then I can be a part of the thing? She go, absolutely not. Oh, okay. It was just like, yeah, there's nothing. You, you and basically- then you go, cool. I'm at this level and I now know there's nothing else. Right. Well, and I go, okay, well, that just means I start looking elsewhere because right. I'm moving on. Like, not that I won't support the thing. I, you hire me to do, uh, to be a feature. So, 
there was no like it was just like a oh you just showed me the dead end so now either i create a new narrative or a new goal or a new thing um i just know that it's going to fizzle away and i took it for the first little bit it was just like well fuck the thing that i really wanted to be a part of it's kind of like hopeless so i was like i guess it doesn't fucking matter right um and i think that's I think that's a part of the growth process of like, I don't know, having a thing that people want to be a part of. If, if, if people can't become a part of it, it's worthless. Yeah. Um, otherwise, what are they investing their time in? Right. If, if you're going to help us grow this thing and do, I don't even know what it is. Like just help us exist, man, you should have a seat at the table. Sure. Um, I, I yeah. Yeah, uh, even talking um, about the friend earlier, um, like he was promised all those things. They never happened. Like, oh, you'll get stock, you know, a seat at the table, so to speak, partnership, whatever you want to call it. And then it never happens. And I don't think people realize, like, when they are starting to build something, that they're going to have to share it with people at some point if they want it to continue to be a thing. Yeah. And I could be wrong about that, but I don't I don't necessarily think I am. Like I think there's always a point where in some way you need to you need to bring people in. And yeah. I, I can't think of an instance where that's not the case. And I don't know every business that's ever existed, so I'm sure I'm wrong, but any business I've seen that's like a small business where people are unwilling to accept help not financially, but like whatever, yeah. they they don't exist anymore or they're right. having a really hard time or they eventually like give in and then all of a sudden it's instead of the right person, it's well, who's right now? You know, another feature, and this sounds like super fucking hokey, but another feature of uh, watching that Alone show is whenever they kill something, they're like fucking struck to their knees with humility. They're like, oh my God. It's the, thank you so, like they did all the fucking work. Like they did all of the work and yet they're thankful to just have a fucking squirrel nut or whatever the hell the thing is. They're just like, I get to like be, and and they could call it quits at any time. So that like, I know it's a feature of a show, but imagine their experience as human life for 200,000 years because it's not much different than that. Like every little thing you get, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. This is it. You're, you're actually grateful. You're not. Yeah. You're not writing in your journal about it. You're not pretending like you're experiencing what actually being grateful feels like. That's how I feel whenever somebody like will email us or we, we have an interaction where they come here and tell us like, man, this meant something to me. Yeah. I it like changed how I thought about the world. And even if like they wildly disagree with us as human beings, it, like if whatever we're doing here opened them up and changed them some way, that's how I feel. I feel like, Oh Jesus, it was like, it was so worth it. I'm so thankful that like somebody listened and that they were feeling the same things as me. And that at some point, like if that can just keep, keep happening, that's where feasts come from. Yeah. Where like now all of these ideas, it's like overflowing and now we're abundant. Like now we have everything that we need because the people came here and they responded to the things that I say, you say, Mark writes, right. whatever. Um, yeah, no, I feel the same way. And like even, you know, uh, I talked to a client today of mine who hopefully is going to come out in September. I've been coaching him for maybe a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what is this symposium? <laughs> 
And I'm sure you've gotten that question <laughs> as many times as I, as I yeah. have. And every answer has been wildly different because nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. And the best way I could explain it to him was I was like, I feel like everything people do in life creates dots. And nobody knows how to connect those dots. And the symposiums help to find a way to link those dots together or to start understanding that they should be. And that everything is a system and a process and it all goes together. And fitness is fucked because there is no connecting dots. It's just like a shotgun spray on a board and you're like cool like i know i need health and that means like sleep and nutrition but where, maybe where do butt bands play into that my booty bands i think that's basic entry level you know fitness it gets you it gets your foot in the door right because everybody needs a good glute squeeze yeah yeah and everybody wants to look good in a pair of virus pants like i don't want to i don't want to talk shit because I don't want it to mean sex workers. The second you say I don't want to talk shit, it means you're not going to. Okay. I don't <laughs> <laughs> not to be disrespectful, but... Yeah, I, I don't... I think highly of sex workers, actually. But do you think that, like, being on Instagram is the new suck in the dick? Like, do you, like it's like, God, I got to fucking dole out some hand jobs to get, you know... Can, it, I wanna, is, it is a level of prostitution. Can we at least go there? Yeah, totally. Um, and again, nothing against it because if people wanted a hand job from me and it was valuable and that could improve my life, I'm not against it. There's no moral code that says no. Right. It was Adam and Eve. <laughs> I'm a full believer of you know, do whatever you feel the fuck like. Did you do. watch another Chappelle uh, stand up lately? No. Because I watched one of George's last night, and a lot of the stuff you're saying was stuff you made jokes about. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. Uh, the I, the Adam and Steve thing came up because that toy company. That's oh, a, that's right. That's an Adam and Steve action figure play set. That's, I hope it's as awesome as I think it <laughs> it's is. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty oh, good. it's really good. Fuck, what was I going to say? I don't know, we're talking about prostitution on Instagram. Oh, I my favorite part of Instagram now is the people that had it in like 2012 and all they did was show their abs, their mm -hmm. tits and their ass. Um, and they got a hundred thousand followers and now they've had kids and whatever. And they're like, <laughs> you don't need like, to show your exactly. <laughs> and you're like, but, but like you don't actually know there's a better way. Cause the way you did it is the way you're saying not to do it. Let's put it this way. Uh, take, take the, the girl. Let's, let's say, at some point I was successful because I did something physically as in a sport and I got recognition or paid for that sport, yeah. like professional, whatever. And then I retire out of that fucking sport and I go, you know, you don't have to perform well to, to get likes and stuff, guys. Like you don't have to, yeah. performance doesn't matter. Nobody's like pressuring you. You should just be okay with being you when you just disregard the fact that you have just dedicated your life to annihilating other people. Not that anybody will ever listen to this episode that has a hundred thousand followers that I'm going to talk about, but I feel like if they truly believe that they should delete their Instagram account, create a new one that isn't their name and just post the stuff they normally would post that doesn't involve their body, just right. their intellect and their superb knowledge and see what happens. <laughs> God damn it. I, like if you really think people are following you because of your words and you forget about that prior eight years, then let's put it on the table. Is that like Ashley Horner? 
Uh, it's anybody that I could. It's <laughs> I could name a dozen people in CrossFit right now, or that used to CrossFit that no longer do. That like, oh no, like body positivity respects your body. Like you don't need to show it off to make an impact or to get likes or to get followers. And you're like, I can scroll back eight years and I can count how many birthmarks you have on your butt cheeks if you really want me to. So I I didn't know who she was, but then I started following her because she started to work with um what's his name Alex For, Alex yeah, yeah Viata. And then I realized really quickly, I was like, oh, this is like a, a fucking, this is kind of a joke. And so I like unfollowed the thing. So she'll still pop up every once yeah, in a yeah. while. And I, I, did remember, this, I did the exact same thing. Okay. And then I'll look at her post and I'm like, man, she's super fucking serious. She looks like she's getting ready for a t- Oh, it's her. Like, it's like, you know, not that she's not a serious person or she's not capable or anything. It's just like everything about it is like the it tricks me yeah i'm like oh is this like a super serious athlete <laughs> like are they going to do something you know different are you going to try something really hard not that she doesn't try hard things yeah i just don't think it, it's not she's not a kelly halpin sure right like she's not fucking annihilating herself and she's not going to do it without really telling anybody it's like this big lead-in this big build-up this yeah. i'm doing all this follow my journey it's oh i'm gonna do it oh it, it didn't happen because Right. X, Y, and Z that were out of my control. Were they? And then <laughs> like it becomes that whole thing as opposed to like I mean, I don't think Kelly talked about her traverse with many people aside from people Closer, that could yeah. help her figure it out, give her knowledge, insight, etc. And it was no like watch my training for the next six months as I or six weeks as I prepare for the Wind River Traverse or whatever it was called. That she just so, did it. Talk about a way to set yourself up for failure. It's like putting a big spotlight on you. Hey everybody, look at me. Yeah. I'm gonna do this thing. And then when one thing goes wrong, you have to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. When in reality you're just like, I'm gonna do this thing and I'm not gonna tell anybody it until after it's done. Right. Yeah, then maybe fucking Maybe you write something about it. Or do you have videos later on? that was like, look at how shitty this training was. I don't know. But- it's a different world now. I, so uh, I, I race cars for a little bit. Um, nobody ever took fucking video or we, we were too busy building cars. Right. Like we're too busy fucking racing. And you didn't have fucking cell phones that took good videos. And like- I mean, we had, I mean, I had a, I had a camcorder and I had some other shit. Only because there was a moment in time where we were doing crazy shit with cars and I was like, oh, we need sponsorship dollars. As soon as we needed money to keep doing what we were going to doing, we had to put on this like image of what we were doing and it changed it completely and actually made the whole thing distasteful to me, even though I really liked doing it. So we were like, uh, there's this, there's this in Japan, it's called toge, the toge drift. So drifting as a sport. Is that different than Tokyo drift? totally different because once that happened it was all ruined right it was like this 20 year love affair with a subculture where like there was very few people that knew about it but we would get these videos from japan of these guys going up canyons and drifting their cars up canyons in like long chains of fucking modified cars just like fucking blowing around corners blow sideways doing like crazy fucking insane shit in the middle of the night and they would also film like when cops show up, they'd have to fucking scatter. Yeah. And it was like, it, imagine like, you know, everybody kind of had probably a racing scene in high school where they'd go out and drag race cars. Maybe that doesn't happen anymore. It was fucking wildly popular here. But to us, that was like rednecks. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you're a bunch of fucking hillbillies. We That's would go up into the canyons with a bunch of like, cause we had been watching these videos. Uh, I mean, I have still have VHS tapes from Keiichi Suchia, who's like the drift king. 
and he was the one who kind of made the style because he was a professional GT350 race car driver. And he was so good that he would drift the track after, which means he would take asinine lines. So racing is about cutting the closest line possible to save as much time. He was so fucking far ahead of people that he would blow tires just like spinning smoke everywhere going around a racetrack. And so he would drift around. People would call him the drift king. He would just blow fucking cars up because he was so far ahead of people. Right. And then he just started doing it for fun. Like, look how we can take these angles. And it became like, it became the ice skating we'll say it's of, an art. of racing. Yeah, it became like a very subjective feature of driving a car. How well you can drive, how much style you put into it. Like, it, and there's the car that you build to do the thing. And then there's how you use it to do the thing. Right. And then you can race it. You can go against other people. You can like, you can go with other people. And so when I was like building cars and racing them, that's what we were doing. We were, it was, it was, we would be up in the toge. So we'd go up in the canyons in Salt Lake city. Nobody at the time did it. Like I knew all 10 people that drifted. Right. Most of there was a lot of guys in California starting to like get professional with it, but nobody in Utah was doing it. And I knew the guys, uh, these guys called drift Alliance. Um, I met them at a race and they were like, because I built rotary engines, we got all like into the specifics about building rotaries. I was like, what are you building this for? And he's like, Oh, a drift car. And I was like, no shit. And so I, I went for a ride for, with him and then I went back and built a drift car literally the next week. I was like, this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever done. Cause he's like, it's pure freedom. Sure. You're like, you just go and enjoy the thing that you built. I spent like, you know, 30 grand building this car. I don't care what it looks like. I do because I have style, but I want to fucking experience the car. And I want to, I want my skill to integrate with the machine to a point where people notice the beauty of it. That's what it was. And we were like, we're getting it big enough and doing it enough that people were starting to recognize and we're like, well, we could build better cars and we could get like, we could do way more. So, if, but nobody knows what we're doing. We're not filming it because we're too busy fucking doing it. So like, who's going to stop and f I don't want to film you. I want to fucking be behind you right. driving my car. So, um, we started filming some stuff and trying to put like edits on it and like make it cool. So we could like pull in sponsorship dollars. And there was like a day then I realized like, Oh, it ruined it. Yeah. Cause now you're also doing more of that thing. Yeah. Or at least it's taking away a bit of time from the thing you actually love doing. Yeah. I care more about somebody thinking that it's cool than me enjoying this thing that I developed for a long time. And it was like, done, walk away. And I still have race cars. I, I kept my race car for a really long time. It was like a completely ratted out S14 that was like slammed on the fucking ground and it said, hide your daughters on the fucking windshield. <laughs> Cause we created, <laughs> we, we created this, like you have gangs basically and sure. you'll like battle other people. And ours was called Scary Monster Squad. <laughs> So I had a big octopus decal on the back that was attacking a tank. What color was your car? It was black with okay. gold. That makes sense. So it's all blacked out. And I mean, it's like, I'll show you pictures of it. It's like a fucking inch off the ground. Yeah. The interior is completely ripped out of it. It's just a roll cage in one fucking seat and like a box for somebody else to sit on if they wanted to come with me. And I used to just like, I kept it for a couple of years because I'd be like, oh, start it up, take it down the road. And I would immediately just go fucking spinning donuts in 360s. You're like, all right. There's this, call, there's this technique called chokudori, which means chicken butt wiggle in Japanese. 
and it's where you take a long straight line and you start small and you get the the back end to swerve out a little bit making an s back and forth back and forth until you're whipping your tail back and forth and hitting the concrete barriers on whatever side of the road is so you do that down wasatch boulevard and freak people out i fucking loved it i don't know anything at all about that world yeah it's a different fucking world. it really is that's really fascinating it's totally different now I, I still know some people that do it professionally and they're like what the like chris forsberg um most of the guys that i i originally did they're still building cars but they don't do it anymore and it's really weird because he's like a full-blown like rock star like in that world he's a, he's like a professional formula drift driver he does stunts he does like he's an insane person um he did a lot of the stunt driving for Tokyo Drift. Because that's a Reese Millen and all those guys that were like doing it professionally. By the time that movie came out and they were like, oh, yeah, the drift scene, it was fucking dead. Yeah. No one gave it. They're like, yeah, yeah. All the guys that had helped develop it was a way to like pay tribute to some of them. Although a lot of them got ripped off. But re- um, I don't know if you remember that scene where he's uh, he's drifting up the uh, parking structure. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's Reese Millen. Oh no shit! Yeah, that guy is fucking an insane person. He used to he used to drift a competition of four wheel drive fucking uh, Evo. Uh, so explain to me why four wheel drive is important in that statement. Because that car wants to get traction. Right. That so car drifting is not what it wants. to It do. means you have to overpower the fuck out of it. But once you get to this level where it's overpowered, I mean, this sounds really weird because it's based on the theory of understeer oversteer, and then between those, you're just driving. But if I'm over the steer. That means my uh, wheels are over my steer, and if I'm under the steer, it means I'm my front is losing traction. So, on a four-wheel drive car, you're to drift means you're both over the steer and under the steer at the same time. So, a four-wheel drift means that you're somehow getting enough traction but losing traction on the front wheels because the front wheels are grabbing. Right. They, if they drive forward, you'll it'll correct the car. So to break it sideways all four have to lose traction which means it's like it's a totally different thing to do if you now if you see like jim Connor and all these guys they're really good like rally car drivers are the best at it um what's his name fuck who's the famous dude who we saw me and my friend jason saw him um the guy that does all the um monster fucking energy drink videos have you seen jim Connor videos no oh jesus christ the only name in my head right now is travis pastrana no, but I feel like he is a different. Is he a skateboarder bike? No, he's like motors uh, X bike. Like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does he does stunts and stuff. No, this guy. I'm gonna show you some videos, and you're gonna flip the. I've fuck watched out. some rally car stuff. I had a WRX in high school, so yeah. I, I got I didn't get into doing it. <laughs> I mean, there was no way for me in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, to even begin to comprehend what I needed to do. But I got a lot of enjoyment out of watching those videos, dude. I I mean. I had an STI too. So I know like it is hard to get into because you're like, Oh, I bought this awesome car. I'm totally broke. It's my only thing that I have. And you're like, I can't afford to break it. Right. So I can't actually use it. But I did the opposite of that. I went and bought something and broke it and was like, I have to figure out how to fix it. 
So I spent a year learning how to rebuild engines. That doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> that was my that was my first like bad deal because I'd been building Hondas and shit because they're like you know I got a CRX when I was like in high school and I was like cool and then I motor swapped it and I was like oh shit you can do some stuff like, yeah you're like oh really cool yeah I added like 150 horsepower to this thing and then I was like put nitrous on it and it was like banging off the fucking rafters and I was like well if I can do that with that what if I got a rear wheel drive car and so I went and bought a 93 RX7. An FD3S is what they call it. And that that's like flagship supercar in the Japanese car realm. Okay. You get one of those and you just bought it into like a different level. Like you to do anything is really expensive. But I found a twin turbo one. It looked nice. It had low miles. I flew down to Texas. I bought it with every last dime that I had. I'm driving it back and I blew the motor in Las Vegas. <laughs> and I go, oh shit. It's for sure fucked. Yeah. So my stepdad um, came down with the trailer, picked it up. I'm like so fucking depressed. I bet. What am I going to do? I have a fucking car payment. I can't even drive this car. Luckily, I still had my CRX. So I was like, oh, fuck, at least I have a car to drive to go to work. I can't remember what I was doing at the time. You're like, think, oh, I'm going to pay for something that I have to get rid of or it's going to sit in the driveway. And Yeah, and I just stared at it for like a month. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like. I don't even know how to test if it's a blown engine. I just know that it is. Like yeah. I can feel it's gone. So I was like looking up stuff. Finally, I ordered like a manual The like the, this is not the normal manual, not the ones that you get at Pet Boys, but I ordered like the factory manual, which is like how the engine comes apart. Yeah. So I ordered that manual. I started like reading about how to pull the engine out and how to test for compression. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I just started pulling shit apart and I ripped that fucking. Oh, you got engine. nothing to lose at that point. No. And I, I remember I did it all in a day and I was still living at my mom's house and she came home and she was all, what the fuck did you do? And I was like, I took it apart. And now because it's a part, I have to figure out how to put it back together. And she was like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to have to fucking pay for this thing. She was so mad at me. Yeah, yeah. She was like wildly mad. So I found this guy that like knows about RX-7s because they're really rare. Rotary engine, totally different than any, any other kind of motor. Nobody wants to deal with them. It's called a Wankel. And so I found some guy through another guy through another guy because I, I had some connections at like performance shops. So this guy, Daisuke, who's like this super rich Japanese guy who used to live here, had like a fucking 900 horsepower RX-7. And it was wide body. It was like legit. The wheels on that thing were worth like a grand a pop. Like each fucking wheel. It was like at the time he was like the dude. Yeah. Um, so I called him and I was like, hey, who works on your motor? Blah, blah, blah. I have an RX-7. And immediately he was like, oh, yeah, FD. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, awesome. And he's like, let me connect you with all these people. And I was like, it's like an immediate, like as soon as you know that somebody's an FD person, you have access to other people. Got it. And so he gave me Carl's number. So I go down to this guy. He works for Ford. He's a master mechanic. And I was like, he's like, fucking Carl, dude, he's drinking fucking rock stars and swearing at me. And he's like, you did what? You bought a fucking, you bought a fucking FT, you fucking idiot. What do you think? You just fuck around with these cars. You're a fucking moron. And I was like, but can you help me? Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, this is going to cost you a fucking fortune. I was like, I don't have a lot of money, man. But I was like, I totally want to learn how to do this. So I don't know what to tell you. And he was like, Fuck. <laughs> All right, come to my house tonight. And he gives me his address, and he lived on like 9th and thirteenth up by his his house was right below East High. So I drive there in my CRX, and I have my motor with me, 
and I like. I like how you're mimicking, mimicking like you were holding it in your hands. Like kind, a, well, you can. Yeah. You can hold it. Oh like, no shit. Yeah, it's like one, two, three, four segments right here, and the oh, five right. is a crankshaft. So you can pick it up. It weighs about a hundred something pounds. Oh no shit. Yeah, it's a really small motor. It's one point three liter. Oh, I didn't know that. It's like super small displacement because it's rotary. So on e there's two rotors. On each rotor, there's six combustion chambers. Got it. Yeah. So when you get a three rotor, you'll know what you're like. That's a whole nother fucking thing that people swap into things. Anyway, so I bring this thing to him. He's like, ah, he's just swearing at me and kicking shit and drinking Rockstar and of beer. Of course. Rockstar and beer. And, and he's like, like probably nine o'clock at night or some shit. But he has like, he drag races FDs. And I'm like, oh, cool. You have like, that's a fucking super serious car, man. He's like, yeah, I win everything. And I was like, right on. Like, so he started talking, cool. and he's got a fucking turbo the size of my head on. It's a T88H. And he's got all, all these things. And he's got parts everywhere. And I was like, this is fucking insane. Like, I didn't know this is what it was going to be like. And so he tears my motor apart. And he goes, that's it. Apex seal. This is what broken. All right, you got to get it milled. You send it to this guy. You call this guy. Tell him you know me. It's going to cost this much. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I like hurry and do that. I feel like I'm like, when's, when's he get, like, if it's second, he's like, it's this much money. You owe me 10 grand. I could be like, I'm sorry. I don't have that right. much money. He never does that. He goes, the parts are this much. And I pay him that. And then he like, Hey, will you help me do this? So I help him like pull his tranny out of his truck and do some other shit that he's like getting paid on the side to do. He's like, okay, cool. And then he, he shows me how to put the motor together and he's like, you do it. And so I do it. And he's like, all right, we're good. And I was like, what do I owe you? And he's like, I don't know. You don't have any fucking money. He's like, you're worthless. Get the fuck out of here. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I like take my shit. I go put it back in. I At this time, I had still like been saving and like buying parts and shit for this fucking car. I have like $50,000 in parts. <laughs> and I have no idea how to put this thing so together. So just sit next to the car in boxes or yeah, out of boxes? Yeah, to totally. So I'm just like, I'm, I bought... I mean, a program like a engine management unit is like generally the it's what you have to do if you want a high performance car. You have to rip all all of the electronics out and you rewire it to your module that you can change. That sounds easy. It's not at all. Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to know what you're doing. And I didn't. And I wired the entire thing, loomed it. And it wouldn't start. And I was like, fuck. So I called Carl. Hey. He's like, what the fuck? He's so mad at me every time. So he came and he, he got, immediately was like, man, you got a fucking rat's nest here. You're a disaster. This is not how you do this shit. And he looked at all my work and he was like, you have good connections, but this is fucking terrible. Right. Don't ever let me see you do something like this. And so he's like, you loom it like this. And he showed me how to wire a fucking engine. And then he left. And does Carl actually exist? He does. He still works on. He's the one who changed my clutch on the three seventy. Oh no shit! Yeah, he's still a really good friend of mine. Does he still swear at you all the time? All the fucking time, because I call him Kyle. I go Kyle. <laughs> he gets so fucking mad at me. He's like a really really good friend. My mom found him his house. Oh no shit! Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, he goes How come I've never met Kyle before? Have he's, I met Kyle? No, I don't think so. He doesn't come around much. I mean, he has a sh he's opened a couple businesses. He's been a sheriff. Like he's done a bunch of different stuff. He's a master mechanic for Subaru too. Oh no shit. Yeah, so he makes most of his money swapping Subaru trannies. Somebody came here once that owns a car shop or Jono. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's an auto body shop. He's All a right. hot rod shop. Yeah, oh, I, that's right. That's that was right. yeah, that was my first auto shop that I worked at. Um and those guys, like to tell you the level 
um, I worked at that auto shop. Nobody knew anything about the rotary. Like they wouldn't fucking help me. I worked with them and they're like, get the fuck out of here. Just sell that thing and get something normal. Like get a V8, bitch. And they were into import cars. It's not that they were against them. They mostly liked hot rods, but they they would build like a turbocharged fucking four banger or something and like, you know, run 11 second quarter mile and think it was cool. They just liked cars. Yeah. But a rotary, they're like, I don't know what to fucking tell you. Yeah. Just, it's we, too different. We know this world. There's no need for us to figure this one out or something. But my car's at the shop because I work there. And so I'm like working on my car there. And they're coming over and giving me a bunch of shit because it looks like fucking... At this point, the car's demolished. Yeah. It I've, barely looks like a car. I've totally fucked it up. The front end is off of it. All the internals are out of it. There's an engine in it. I'm, it's like puttering. Fuck it. Now I can get it started. And I back this thing out and like prime it and we get a base program into it. And I just like, I got to fight. It's been a year and a half. Like I have to fucking drive this thing. So I put it in gear and I just launch it. <laughs> it's like shooting fucking oil and flames ever because it's not fucking tuned. But as soon as I felt that turbo go, I was like, oh my God, this is what I was fucking. Yeah. You're like, I was there like it is. Completely fucking addicted to that thing. What um, was the time frame between when it, the engine failed and then you got to drive it again. a year and a half i worked on it every single day sure like every day how old were you 17 18 or a little i think older. i was i think i was 19 yeah 19 20 man i was stuffing cans just like this one into boxes at a redemption center and <laughs> mm. let me tell you that's not a skill that's really helped me out in life although I, people i used to work for are still very good friends to this day but so i dropped out of college to do it because mm. it was too much time to be in school. I bet Pam loved that. Actually, she was like, I'm going to see where this goes. She was fine with it, right? And by the time I got done, I had a massive amount of debt from parts and stuff. Sure. Um, but she was like, what she saw from it. So a- after I'd built my car, um, I got it painted. I fixed it. It was like a fucking show car. I ran a 998 quarter mile in it. And then I was kind of done. Like I've done what I wanted to do with this thing. And then it was just like, I couldn't even drive it because it was so, it was such a pretty car. I was like, I can't, as a fucking $9,000 candy purple paint job on it. It's, it was fucking serious. Yeah. Do you got Um, pictures of that? I'm sure you do. I have one. No shit. I have one fucking picture of it somewhere. Um, I have a lot of pictures of the build up because there's a lot of pictures of me like under it, like blackface. (laughs) with oil all over me and i'm just like hunkered down on this fucking thing but what ended up happening is because i had that car you know this is it comes back to god damn it it does come back to this analogy i was not planning this (laughs) the bear pelt (laughs) sure because i could drive that car around you could not buy that car right right like it is a for people that know, it's a fucking bridge ported RX-7 with a T-78 fucking turbo on it that had 613 horsepower to the wheel. Like, I don't care who you are. I would fuck up any car in that thing because I had street slicks on it. So I would fucking take off and it was it would connect and go. Yeah. You were like... You didn't spin out or anything like no, that. No, a 600 horsepower car that has traction is a fucking monster. Right. You just can't... And I didn't drive it like that, but I would drive it around and people would be like, what the fuck? fuck and so other rx7 owners now i was that person and they'd be like hey i'm having this problem and i'd be like what is it and they would tell me and i'd be like okay i'll i'll fix it eventually i had so much business that i had to rent a garage oh no to start storing rx7s in while i fixed their motors carl had taught me how to fucking make a living 
and I didn't even know it. And my mom was laughing because she's like, I'll pay off the debt to the car because that isn't a car. It's your education. Like I just paid for you to learn how to build cars instead of go to school. Which is actually, I would say a better way to learn than going to school. Well, because I was for any subject, I was wildly interested in it. And there was like, I had friends at the time that were going to master mechanic classes that were probably better than me, but they weren't like, I didn't have a formal education, but I could figure out what was wrong with almost any car pretty fast. And then especially if I knew the model, there's like inherent things that are going to go wrong with it. And so you start from the base knowledge. Uh, I have a general knowledge of how engines work, right? They need air, fuel, and fire. And so if it's not starting, you just check. What is it missing? Fire, air, fuel. It usually has air. It usually has fuel, fire. So we go ignition. Okay, the ignition, the coil, the packs, like whatever the ignition system is. Oh, and here it is. And then you fix it and it starts. Or if that's not it, oh, it's fuel. It's well, is it cycling fuel? Fuel. Okay, the pump's working. Then I go injectors. Are they pulsing? Are they putting like fuel into there? Are we losing compression? Like there's all these things that you just go, we just work backwards generally. And that's how I work on health now. Yeah. Like I do the same thing. I go, what do you need to feel better? You need like sleep, food, recovery. You need some stresses to keep the system up. If any of those things are missing, you just diagnose it. And you can tell me if I'm wrong because I've obviously never taken mechanic class before in my life. Neither have I. But the <laughs> the way you did it is kind of like, I mean, I, I'm thinking it's the same way I've learned how to coach, same way mm-hmm. you learned how to coach, same, mm-hmm. same way you've kind of learned how to do a lot of things. A, it's trial and error. B, you, you kind of learn like the whole system mm-hmm. and then you get in tune with, you know, it sounds off, it feels off, you know, you start to drive it or move it or listen to it and you then, you know, figure out from your instincts, intuition, whatever you want to call it, where to start. And maybe, I don't know how this works, if you're in a school, they go, hey, it has this problem, fix it. Mm-hmm. Or this is how you do these things on like a, if everything's in a perfect world, I mm-hmm. could be wrong. I don't know. But I feel like that's where people find their mastery of something is through the love of it, through doing it in like an organic way, as opposed to a way that worked for somebody else that now they're telling you how to do it that way. I, there's something there. Um, the thing that I think makes you really good is like the jump. Like you have to jump and commit to something that is like devastating. Like it could, de- yeah. it could go devastatingly wrong. I think, I don't know why, but I think that's like a major feature. Um, I, for in every part and I haven't planned this. Like, I don't like, nobody wants to like, Hey, if you don't do this, you're going to be poor the rest of your life. Or like, Hey, if you don't finish this project, you really fucked up. Or, right. But at every important part of my life, there's been like an investment and a commitment that had to happen. And I just had to do it and not think thinking would have meant that it was logical and I would do the wrong thing. Um, I, I, that's kind of, I mean, that's also the part that sucks because <laughs> I know if I'm stuck, it means that I'm not committing to something like uh, there needs to be more risk or there needs to be something there, which might be the wrong attitude. And then I also get scared because like, is this how it is the rest of my life? I have that thought a lot. That's oh, fu- you, I mean, you know that, but that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, very. 
Like I have to go through life not knowing what's going to happen. But the second I know what's going to happen, I'm going to be so fucking bored. Right. I'm going to ruin it. Right. Like I will self-destruct. I'll just be like, I can't do this anymore. Like if shit gets too easy, I'm out. Like I got to make it hard, which is like a problem. It could be. I, I don't I don't know if problem's the right word. I know what you're saying. But I, like, <laughs> I asked Mark, I was like, did you think it would be different? And he's like, mm, kind of. I mean, I think there was a point where he's like, okay, I'm doing well. Sure. You know, money in the bank. I can, you know, I can, I'm going to be okay. I can just do speaking engagements and write books or, you know, go for a long walk. Who knows what he thought right. was going to happen. And now it's like everything is kind of into this project and we've all got wildly out of control with it <laughs> to the point where we're like, there is nothing else. This is the only thing and it either works or we are totally fucked. Yeah. I feel the stress of that every day. <laughs> so do I. No, I know. I know. Uh, it's not. I don't not like it. I don't not. Yeah, like no, it. I can't. I feel like I sounded like George, but you get me. But it's again, if somebody just gave it, I'd be like, eh, whatever. Yeah. I, I know that it's worth it. And I know that's why, like, man, you get, you get people. And this is how it works. When my friend met me and I was working on this engine he was like can I come help you and I was like yes come help me like it was like yes let's like let's figure this out together and then we hung out every day yeah and we did nothing but that thing and this is what we're obsessed with it's what we talked about there there weren't even like Aaron doesn't believe me I did not give a shit about girls sure like, you couldn't have fuck you could put a fucking I don't know, stripper in front yeah, of you. Yeah, you're like, be, yeah, yeah, hand me the wrench, bitch. Yeah, I'd be like, move out of the way. You're in front of my car. Yeah. Like, th this project to me means more than, like, any relationship I'd ever built with anybody. Um, to the point, I was dating a girl at the time. <laughs> she would get... I mean, we dated, I think... I can't even remember how long we did. I think it was like a year and a half or two years. I don't remember her ever. Sure. I remember... Like her just calling and being like, hey, come over. And I'm like, I can't. I'm under my car. Like I have to get this done. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. It was that kind of shit. And it was like, was that healthy? Probably not. But also. But what the fuck's healthy when you're 19? Nothing. And, and But the friendships that I developed because of it were healthy. Right. Like those, again, like Carl's still like one of my really good friends because he was a mentor. And like, I would never tell them that to his face because fuck that guy to his face. But like, he's really genuinely one of the sweetest people that's sure. ever treated me any kind of way. I look at the same, I look at Mark the same way. I, I almost like in all of these features, I almost show up and I don't go away. I'm like, no, just teach me. Like, I, you know, it's my bad habit. <laughs> I did that to Burdick when I moved to California. Nice. I just would go to the gym and he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? coaching cool i'm just gonna sit here and watch <laughs> i did it for a fucking year almost i quit my job really yeah i mean alex alex helped a lot she was yeah. making really good money i was barely making like literally anything and mm. we we're living in like the most expensive fucking part of california at least that we had ever lived in so yeah. we're like 22 2200 a month in rent like oh, jesus christ you know it was not amazing and i woke up one day and i was like i literally remember to this day it was i think it was february 2nd 
I sat up in bed. It was a Monday. I rolled over. I shook her. She was like, what the fuck do you want? And I was like, I'm going to quit. And she was like, when? I was like, whenever I get out of bed and call them. She oh, like, is that that one job you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. like sales position yeah. for a military aerospace company or yeah. some shit. She's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to learn how to coach. She was like, how are you going to do that? I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to go to the gym. <laughs> like I had been like online coaching. I mean, I'd worked at OPEX. Like yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. like coaching was this new thing to me. Right, right, right. But but I took this security of this job in a place that we had never lived with like no prospects other than like I knew Jesse was a good dude. Yeah. And I didn't want to take advantage of him, but I knew he'd like guide me of sorts. And I would just like, I'm like, hey, what time are you get to the gym? Be like, oh, like seven, eight. I'm like, cool. I'll see you there. He's like, just wait. It's like, don't tell me to go home. Don't tell me to go home. Right. <laughs> and then it turned into like, I used to work out at night and then he invited me into like his group at noon and then like working out with him and watching him interact with me in the training group that we had was like, I was like, oh, okay. Like just watching him do what he did just was so fascinating to me. And I was just like, all right, I think this is actually what a coach is. Hmm. And like he never like asked for anything. I never asked for anything. I'd like I got to the point where I'd start like coaching his Tuesday Thursday nights because he never went in those nights because that was when he had family time. Yeah. And then it was just like uh, yeah I don't know I mean it was probably the best coaching like watching another coach interact with human beings. I mean he had clients that were deaf, yeah. Down syndrome, no shit, like all all different walks of life. Like it wasn't just you know amazing powerlifters. That was probably the least you know, kind of clientele that he had yeah, watching yeah. him with kids was amazing. Like the way he'd be like, no, no, go fuck yourself. My time is for this person right now. Leave me the fuck alone. Like no shit. watching the way he interacted with people. I was like, fuck, that's, that's a coach. Uh, that's fascinating actually. Cause I, cause I would also like the car stuff is, it's interesting. It teaches you how to like refine skills and yeah. to kind of figure out information and tr problem solve. But when Carl was taking me around, cause he'd be like, ah, just hop in my truck. That's how, and then you just end up somewhere and you're meeting all these fucking old guys and interacting in the world where I would have no business being in that. Sure. Room. Um, to the point where he brought me, <laughs> we, we at some point it shifted and now I had a really fucking fast RX seven and his blue one time and he needed to make it to a race. And he's like, Hey, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, uh, I, you're going to tell me. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, we're going to take all of the insides of your car and we're going to put them in my car. And I was like, that sounds like a lot of work. He's like, we can do it in six hours. And I was like, we can. And he's like, yeah, because you have a lift and a shop now and I can come do that. He's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Come do this right. thing. So I'm just like, well, you could just take it. And he's like, no, 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 no. We can both race the same car. He's like, we put our cars together. We race on different lines. We're fine. I race in a different category. He does street. He does pro comp. And so I was like, oh, okay. So we can race the same car. I was like, that sounds fa fucking fantastic. We stay up. It takes us 18 hours sure. to swipe the car around. And he goes, we got to go. We're going to be late. <laughs> and we're like, okay. So we get in the car and we just start driving to Denver. Straight. And we haven't slept in like two days. And we're driving. And I'm like, I'm getting really tired. And he's like, we can't fall asleep now, man. We got to make it there. Like, take this. <laughs> He gave me some Adderall for the first time. <laughs> and I was Wee. like, it was just a little bit of it. And I was like, 
oh my god carl do i have adhd and he was like why is that because my brain is fucking phenomenal right now yeah. and i was like those bolts that we left out those are 1.25 pitch on a 14 millimeter <laughs> and i started like listing shit and he was like maybe you do need adderall <laughs> and i was like i think i need a lot of adderall <laughs> so we, we get there we hadn't started the car yet so we're like lining it up and he's like oh shit and he starts it it's not starting so he's rewiring the fucking ignition while we're pushing it to the starting and he gets in it puts his helmet on and goes and holds it and then they call it off because it started to rain so we go through all of that <laughs> and then we're like well fuck they call it they cancel the race so we're out there for no fucking reason and then we're like well let's drive home because we have no place to stay this yeah. isn't back in the day when you could like get an airbnb yeah, you don't pull up on your phone like what's available yeah it's not like we're rich yeah <laughs> so he's like i have another adderall let's get home so we took an, we we're up i was basically up for like a hundred hours straight or something and then slept for like a day and a half, probably. Oh, I crashed so fucking yeah. hard. I was like, I've never. That, and you, you still don't feel right for like two days. Probably three days. for the rest of my life. No, it true. probably super fucked me yeah. up. Well, um, you'll live to like fifty six now instead of sixty one. <laughs> Dude, I'm almost there. That sucks. Well, it's like twenty years left. That is kind of weird to look at. It's a good twenty years, maybe. Maybe, but the last twenty years were those good? I think so. Literally, what I'm describing happened 20 years ago. Yeah. It's been 20 years, and I only have another 20. Better get cracking. I better, ha better get on that website design. I got to go. I got to get the fuck out of here. Guys, we got time. We got we to gotta get out of here. We're out. We're out. We gotta <laughs> yeah, fuck it. We're done. <laughs>